to Flux Pod. My name is Matthew Perpetua. This episode is about party rocking. It is a symposium on the topic of party rocking featuring Molly O'Brien and Chris Wade from N Introducing. And uh, Chris, you might also know from uh, Chapo Trap House. Uh, Molly and Chris also do a podcast about uh, Infinite Jest. Uh, they both have been on this show before. You probably recognize them. This is the first time I've had people back, but it's also the first time they've been here together. Uh, the party rocking, you know, you might remember as being a crucial tenet of LMFAO and their music. The the long-gone LMFAO, beloved LMFAO. Uh, LMFAO will be a, a major topic of this, but party rocking is bigger than them. And in this episode, we will talk about what is party rocking, who and what party rocks, uh, the origins of party rocking, the political and social implications of party rocking, uh, plus, you know, it's uh, tangents into hot couch guys, Uncle Magic. Um, one thing we did not get into that we realized after we recorded this was we did not get into bro country, which absolutely is a party rocking genre. My apologies to all of the bro country fans and artists, especially Luke Bryan. His song last year about Margarita is absolutely a party rocking song. Uh, just a reminder that this is a free episode of FluxPod on Wednesdays. The Saturday episodes for Patreon subscribers only. If you want to get in on that, that's $5 a month. Uh, Patreon.com slash FluxBlog. The most recent episode of that features an uh, interview I recorded uh, maybe four or five years ago with Will Toledo of Carsey Headrest. So I uh, look back on that. Uh, pretty fun one. We talked It's right before the album Teens of Denial came out. So it's largely about that and Will's origins as a musician and songwriter. Uh, one more thing before we get into the episode. If you like the show, please tell other people about it on social media, word of mouth, whatever. This is not a corporate thing. I have no backers. I have no money. Uh, this is an independent broadcast. And if you are into it, I definitely need your help in getting the word out about it. You that I greatly appreciate it. So let's get into it. Let's, let's, let's party rock with Molly O'Brien and Chris Wade. Molly and Chris, you are my first repeat guests, but this is the first time you are here together. Uh, can you each each of you introduce yourselves and who you are and what you do? Yeah, thanks for for having us on again. What an honor. Um, I'm Molly. I am the co-host of our podcast and introducing, which is a podcast about words about music, aka music writing. Um, I'm also a videographer. I make content on the internet. Um, and I, I, I party rock every day. And Chris? And uh, uh, I'm Chris. I produce several podcasts, including the one that Molly was just talking about and introducing a podcast about words about music and a little show called Chapo Trap House. Uh, and I also try to keep party rocking close to my heart as much as I can. So we're here today to kind of talk mostly about party rocking to kind of explain what it is and why it's important. 
and why it needs to become a major part of society as we move towards a post-COVID future. So it feels in a way like our last best shot at um at, at enjoying the world. Okay, so let's define party rocking. What is party rocking? I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, I'm I feel like because it's now 2021 and not to, you know, have a brain that works on the same um spectrum as like music websites that are constantly revisiting the the 5, 10, 15, 20 year anniversaries of pop culture phenomena, but it's been 10 years since party rocking I feel like really peaked in America with the release of LMFAO's album Sorry for Party Rocking. I think that they were the the vanguards the, at the forefront of of party rock, but they influenced a lot of other music at that time that was party rock adjacent. And so a decade on, especially at a time when there's no party rocking being done, not safely, um I it's it's just something that I've been thinking about as just like being just 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 a stupid fun way of existing just total hedon total hedonism with no negativity or shame that's how i consider party rocking chris uh it's chilling with the homies <laughs> it's, it's, chilling it, with it's the more homies, hyperactive version like, of that i think <laughs> it but is it's, like, it, it's 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 excess it's it's shots it's spraying champagne it's like going to the club it's dancing Some neon clothing not, i think neon clothing it's like not worrying about what other people think about you it's it's sexual but like not like gross and like it's horny but not um threatening i don't know yeah horny but not threatening and it's bro-y but it's not um toxic masculinity it's not doing a toxic (laughs) masculinity it's not it's non-toxic masculinity and i i do think that women and and non-binary folks are allowed to party rock as well <laughs> i i think the thing that y- the most operative word in or phrase in all of that is uh not really caring there's a kind of casual confidence about it uh, about the the casual confidence to be as stupid as you want to be uh and i think sexy is a good as you want to be and as sexy as you want to be as 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 sexy as you possibly can be as and sexy your, as you know you are your own definition of what sexy is because yeah. if you necessarily look at the men who comprise lmfao you, that might not be your version of what you think sexy is or how it presents but they certainly feel sexy yeah he's sexy and he knows it and that's the only part he is the it's target audience of that the target audience of sexy and i know it is red fl- red foo yes uh but yeah that's, so that's why i th- i want to uh, you know underline that the casual confidence of of a party rock anthem you know okay so who 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 is lmfao let's 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 establish that who is lmfao they've been out of the public eye for a while and i think we should explain it to the audience who these men are i know do you like do younger people care like do they know about lmfao (laughs) like do people who were born in say the year 2000 know who lmfao even is I'm not totally certain if people who are older know who LMFA are. So. <laughs> it's a very specific a specific time frame. I think it's a very their, millennial thing. Their window was so unbelievably short. When you, you know, I, I've obviously been thinking about party rocking in the past couple of weeks, but when when you asked us to come on, I, I was I was doing some research on LMFAO, and they really were a brightly burning, sh- short, shorting existing asteroid of a, a group uncle and nephew duo uh red foo is the uncle right 
Yes. Red Foo's the uncle. Sky Blue is the nephew. They are the, um, uh, is it son and grandson of Barry Gordy? Yes. Yes, they're, they're, they're at least in the Gordy family, crucially. They're in the Gordy family. They're, they're the, the Gordons of Motown. It, it, <laughs> the Gordy family of I mean, that is important to, to realize is that they are music industry royalty. Yeah, they, they did not necessarily, I don't think they were grinding ultimately that hard or long uh, in, in the LMFAO format. My understanding is that they came out of the same scene as like Steve Aoki uh, in like L.A. in the mid aughts and were kind of like throwing parties and doing stuff in that. And Will I Am is what got them the record deal at Interscope. Um, Will I Am was friends with Red Foo, and that makes total sense when you think about what those guys are. <laughs> do, do Black Eyed Peas party rock? No, I would say that most of the time they don't. I think Fergie party rocks. I think that some of their songs are party rock songs, though, like the like the big songs that we've played at like a uh, multi generational parties. It's true, but there's something so cold and calculating about Will I Am and his whole thing and his will to construct things towards like absolute um, maximum efficacy rather than like fun or or uh, 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 lightness or anything. That's a good that point. It, that it just think, drains like, the, the most, soul out of it. I think the most party rocking song they have is, uh, what do you call it, the, the Dirty Bit? Yes. Which yeah. Which is like uh, maximalizing the potential of I've had the time of my life from Dirty Dancing. It's like, I know this song can get people excited, but it doesn't go hard enough, so it's, I'm taking it upon myself to make it go hard. Yes, cranking, cranking certain certain <laughs> levels in that <laughs> mood. The other one, the um, the song that they play, the, I I got a feeling I think is also party rock, uh, in especially in its in its deployment at weddings, uh, bar mitzvahs, the like. It, it's true, and perhaps get it started would also be a uh, a party rock song. And not that I want to uh, you know defend this too, super hard, but I think it is very telling in in the relative amounts of heart party rocking that the black eyed peas do or don't do that. They had to uh, change that song from its original formulation to a new one uh, in response to, to changing conditions, which feels like a very non party rock move, even if it was the right move. Right. Because the original song was uh, let's get retarded. And it's really at the last moment where that would just be a very common thing to say before we were like, wait, yes. that's not right. Yeah, you Let's can't not say do that. that anymore. They so, seem to have released that song at at the exact moment that actually everyone decided as a society that that was no longer an appropriate. Like thing the to second say. that they hit publish, everybody was like, "Oh, this is actually the last time you can do this," which is amazing. Fact, because even it's still time. like prime vice time. <laughs> yeah. So right, we, right. It's, it's like the the aughts are not a woke time at all. It's a brutally no, no. unwoke era. In fact, I was watching a uh, LMFAO. Um, a music video uh, the other day that includes uh, a long sketch. It's a 10 minute long music video for a three minute long song uh, of 
That's party rock, baby. Re- of Red Food trying to, it's a curling video. It's the theme of the video is they're in a, a curling championship team. And Red Food is trying to pump up his teammates. Uh, and he does like this speech where he has puts everybody get their hands in. And he he's like, uh, you know, get it, lick it, take it, swallow it. Let's go. No homo. And that was like 2010 when that would be a common joke at the time. No, no more. Yeah. So, okay, so if if LMFAO are like the ultimate party rockers and they've made party rocking like a chief part of their uh, their music. I mean, it's their, their yeah. message. Uh, the first record is, uh, what is it called? It's just called Party Rock. Party Rock. It was party Rock EP and then Party Rock LP. And then after that, like they, their swan song was uh, Sorry for Party Rocking, which I, I don't think they were actually sorry about it. Mm-mm. You think they're being a bit facetious there? I, I that's what I want to believe. I don't want to think that these guys like went back on anything. <laughs> <laughs> the the song "Sorry for Party Rocking" is it's definitely tongue in cheek as uh, they suggest that it's a response for doing things like uh, puking in your solo cup or blacking out with your sack out. You're supposed to apologize by saying "Sorry for Party Rocking." Yeah. So there's a self-destructive element to party rocking. There is, but you're not supposed to feel bad about it, even if you are making a complete fool of yourself. Uh, it's just it's just part of the game, and you shouldn't have to uh, be ashamed of the party rocking that you've done the night prior. Yeah, this par- sorry for party rocking feels less of a, a like an apology, but of more of a blanket uh, like awareness razor to be putting down, like like excuse me, but party rocking is going to occur in this vicinity. So if you are around here, just be aware that party rocking is in, is, is in motion. So, so let's determine a few things. Who and what party rocks? <sighs> oh boy. We, we, I, I did a, a initial thought experiment on this of just thinking of what the party rock aesthetic is because obviously LMFAO exemplify it. They've got their certain thing, which is very like, you know, spandex, animal print, wild hair, those stunna shades that aren't actually uh, sunglasses, like that whole thing that feels very exuberant and like maybe a little corny or cheesy. And so I was trying to think about what what other things are in the party rock realm. And one thing I landed on from a, an earlier time, the 90s, was that Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen were huge party <laughs> rockers when they were first starting. One of their many media products was uh, a series of direct-to-video uh, movies called Mary Kate and Ashley uh, it, I think it's just like you're invited to Mary Kate and Ashley's blank party. 
They threw a birthday party. They threw a sleepover party. They threw a mall party. And it was straight, straight pizza party, of course. Uh, and it was all just straight party rocking. Uh, from that era, I think the I do think that there was kind of a discrete genre of things that were party rock besides LMFAO. Uh, I would put the first two Kesha albums in the genre of party rock. I yeah, would put that, that, bangers, that's a contemporary. Uh, in as a party rock album. I feel like Kesha exemplifies the the feminine party rock. Yeah, the feminine yes. of party rock. Um, I think uh, maybe even a little later, but we were discussing Pitbull is a as a paradigm of party rocking. Uh, same for those sort of apocalyptic songs, d- dance pop songs of that period. That I think you know Pitbull did some. I think Tayo Cruz did one. Britney uh, had the, one. Britney had one, the idea the that world ends. the world is going to end tomorrow, so it's time to to party rock mm-hmm. tonight. I also think, I think Bloghouse was, I think it was in the realm of party rocking. Sometimes it maybe was a little classier than party rock, but I think the sort of Ed Banger scene was party rock. See, I see LMFAO and the emergence of party rocking in the late aughts is kind of like a bunch of like things kind of merging together. So you have mm-hmm. that um, the we call it like Cobra Snake type party photography thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very crucial element. I think uh, and that kind of tying over into uh, like American apparel aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, then on the far trashy end, you'd have like the girls gone wild thing as being mm. a, a further out version of it that is more refined uh, by the party photography aesthetics, things like that. Um, then I think there's, you know, I think all of the uh, stuff that we would associate with blog house, very crucial going back further. I think uh, electro clash. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of uh, the, then also uh, the, the more, like club centric versions of rap through the aughts. I think all of these kind of combine into LMFAO. They're, they are kind of synthesizing all these things that have been going on for like the previous, let's say eight, nine years. And they emerge at the end of the decade to exemplify and amplify and define yeah. party rocking. We've been party rocking the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then also things like girl talk. Yeah. Girl talk very much so. And DJ AM, another mashup guy. Yeah. RIP. All, all that mashup culture. There's just a lot of things. I mean, the, when I think about the aughts, and this is like when I'm in my 20s, there is a lot of like fun hedonism stuff going on, like real extreme hedonism. And I didn't really always participate in that as a mm-hmm. nerd who wrote about things. But, <laughs> you know, it's it was very much the thing in the aughts, I think much more so than in the 10s. Um, although in the at the end of the the aughts that bleeds into the tens that I think uh, LMFAO is part of is uh, bringing that kind of EDM vibe and that yeah. so I think like that becomes the energy where hedonism goes and obviously it's a huge thing that has a lot of people in it but I think a lot of the people who were involved in the things I mentioned before weren't necessarily involved in that stuff. Like the people who were into justice, the people who were into all that uh, blog stuff, 
mm-hmm. was not necessarily people going to like these festivals and, you know, they, they were not necessarily Avicii heads. <laughs> uh, it's, I think it's also important to, to really parse out that the thing about LMFAO is that to, it's really hard to figure out if they were, to what extent they were making fun of the thing that they were themselves. Like they were obviously very serious about being pop stars in their own way. But like, that's the thing that that I think people struggle with is like the question of, is this a joke? And obviously it is a joke, but along the lines of, you know, we were talking about Frank Zappa a while ago is like that you can be very serious about your music, but also make it overtly self satirical in a, in a way. Uh, and I think that that was one of the things is like all those trends that you were talking about. It is like, it, it's this, perfect synthesis of all those trends but also making fun of all those things individually you know yeah well because the actual the the party boy or party girl is an inherently clownish image yes and they were trying to amplify that i i think you know the idea of uh getting drunk on four loco and then heading out to see a dj steve aoki spin at uh cinespace in la uh that's a that's a clownish thing to do and they were aware of that and yet there there's a community of people who were doing that every single tuesday <laughs> not even on the weekend they were party rocking on a tuesday uh and so the, their image as like the the party boys, I do think that, uh, yeah, I think you're right, Chris. They were taking their career seriously, especially in leaning so hard into something so brandable and recognizable that then could translate into award shows, performances or, you know, yeah. MTV or, or whatnot. But the the image that they were trying to portray, they knew is an inherently ridiculous. Yeah, they're, they're, even their outfits, it is that uh, American apparel or the Cobra Steak photography party photography style as clown uniform mm-hmm. like it's right it's, and also just like a particular type of guy who's not really handsome but he's yeah. really like peacocking and yeah. like that's part of the scene oh yeah, yeah. like to this be the is fun also guy but not necessarily the hot guy yeah this is also like uh around the time that that the um not the secret that we can talk about the secret because would it be su- surprise you to know that uh red foo is a big the secret guy not at all uh but the other thing, uh, the, <laughs> the dating career the seems like the result of secreting real hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dating, the secret, the pickup artist guy, like they kind of look like pickup artist guys, which is also burbling around here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't really associate them with PUA in terms of like lifestyle, but yeah, they're, they're it's peacocking. That, that's yeah, where it's that peacocking, but it's also like making fun of that kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. I think also the, um, the, 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 I think another thing that solidified them in that particular time is like social media was really picking up post MySpace and kind of solidifying is like a, a, a you, the language was being finally figured out and like the language of the turn of the aughts to the tens was like epic memes and like they were they were epic memes they were uh, even the, their name is LMFAO which is a fucking <laughs> internet yeah. uh, what do you call it. Abbreviation uh, slang, not um, when letters stand for things. acronym. 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 My party. I've I've been party rocking too hard this weekend, but uh, yeah, that I think they are very internet legible as well. Yeah, very much of the internet at a time where uh, when I think of like the late, the late aughts, but especially the early tens, and like I started working at BuzzFeed in twenty twelve, and like the first half of my time at BuzzFeed where BuzzFeed's like really huge 
that's a very innocent time of the internet. Mm-hmm. I think there are some toxic things that are in that stew, like the obsession with fails, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But compared to where the internet would go by 2015, it's like when you think back at it now, it's like, oh, it was such an innocent time. People mm-hmm. just wanted to like share Epic Bacon stuff. And, you know, it, a lot of it stuff is super cringe now when we think about it. But at the time, it was this kind of like the internet was a much more joyful space. Social media was a more joyful space. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew, I know we were talking about this off mic of just the way of being online where instead of even having like a hot take or like a a particular opinion of just pointing something out and being like, lol, look at this is a much more positive way to end up using the Internet because the current social media platforms that we are using tend and trend toward negativity like I was just telling Chris too that like a, a, if you're in a Twitter argument, it might take four threaded tweets to like make a point, but it only takes like a third of a tweet to be like "fuck you, bro." <laughs> and, and who's like the winner of that argument? And who's the winner of the argument? The person who said <laughs> "fuck you, bro." So anyway, anyway, the the like yeah, the inherent kind of positivity of the internet at that point felt very yeah i I think i think to kind of distill what you were just saying it's a lot of is like the internet at that point in time was much more about like i'm sharing a thing with you yes and i mean obviously that was the basis of buzzfeed like people wanting to share things and like to create things that would be shared Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's really not part of the internet now at all it's like even even though it, it technically exists um, like, I mean, I've been kind of reorienting my approach to using any social media towards, I'm just going to give people things like, here's stuff, here's something I found, here's something I made. And, but really back away from like more opinion based things to back away from politics, really a lot of things that I, I just, you know what, I will have these things in my personal life, but on the internet, on social media, I am purely about the arts uh, that actually, I mean, I was going back through some of my earliest tweets from like 2007, eight, nine, just cause I was looking for something very specific. And I was just chuckling to myself how, how many of my earliest tweets, like every third tweet is just like a retweeting a link from boing, boing of being like, damn, this is cool. Look at this. Oh, <laughs> how sweet. Yeah, I know. But that's like, that's what people were, were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can go back. I think we can go back. That's it's a very, very we easy way to go back, back to it. To be like, hey, here's some cool stuff. Yeah. This put out good vibes. And like LMFAO and party rocking is a good vibes culture. And I think while, you know, people are always trying to do this, I think that they were able to break through because people were receptive to good vibes in a way that people on mass want very bad vibes now. And there, there's some ways where that makes sense, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, the world in the past few years mm-hmm. has been a, a fairly dark place, but you know what? So was the fucking aughts. That was the George W. Bush hey. era. We're in wars. The, the economy completely collapses basically right around the time where LMFAO like break out. You know, people are responding to a very bleak time. And I think when we look back at, that era, the response was, let's party. It's like, this is the only time we've got. We got to live now. We got to yeah. do it. We, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that, you know, we probably are trending back towards that once we're on the other side of COVID and people can 
congregate again, I, I fully expect people to be way overdoing it. And LMFAO is there for you if you want to overdo it. That's their whole deal. Yeah. I mean, that, that to talk to the political aspect of it, I think one of the other reasons that that stuff came up specifically not just after the economic collapse, but after 2008 was there was, I feel like the sense of like, especially getting George Bush out of office and especially getting the per- a person like Obama in, there was a generalized feeling of like, that, well, this is it. We did it. We, we have defeated the evil and now uh, we are in the good place and we don't have to worry about this stuff again. Yeah, the economy's collapsing, but that's fine. We're, we're having a good time here. Uh, yeah, the future is bright. We have Barack Obama. Yeah, and he and he he will he is the final victory of good over evil. There will right. be no and, yeah. And where we are now is we we we're in a similar place where you know Donald Trump is no longer president, but we don't have an inspiring figure no. in leadership. We have no particular reason to expect uh, things to be good or better. Just not as bad, right? You know what's maybe a. Uh, because I was thinking about other things that could exemplify uh, party rocking, uh, and I was thinking about Nicki Minaj and Anaconda saying, I'm on some dumb shit, uh, yes. which feels very party rocking. And then I was thinking about mm-hmm. like the, uh, the, 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 some of the per- performers who have come after Nicki Minaj and kind of her form of like Cardi B and Megan. And I was thinking, are Cardi B and Megan songs party rocking songs? And they are to a certain extent. But then there's also this very... Um, this very transactional nature about uh, Megan and Cardi songs that are like, I'm not out here to just have fun with my, to just have fun and be on some dumb shit. I'm out here to convert my, the power of my sexuality into money. And that yeah. is my and, and entire dominance thing is about. in all yeah. ways possible. Yes. I mean, like, I mean, Beyonce before them was very much based on this. I think there's a whole strain of popular music through the past 20 years where that is the whole thing. Yeah. It is about, uh, yeah, I will take anything I have to, to attain, uh, dominance over any and all things. And you, I mean, how, I mean, of course, like stand culture becomes what it is because that's like the, the message of so much of the music, uh, either implicitly or explicitly. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, in comparison to something like LMFAO, like even the fun Cardi B songs, for example. Yeah. The it's, I'm thinking of like money in particular, where she is just singing about how much she likes money and it's not really the, the, what to spend it on fun things to spend it on is very much secondary to the pleasure of acquiring money. And why wouldn't you ascribe that feeling to making money right now at a time when it is incredibly hard for most people to make money. Obviously, yeah. Cardi B herself in her economic status is uh, pretty much exempt at this point. But she used to have to work quite hard for a dollar. Uh, but LMFAO are much more like they're not. I don't see them as like finding fun in making money. They are spending the money on very stupid stuff. Everybody going to have a good time. Oh, they, you know what? Yeah, yes, go, go, go on. Oh, I was gonna. I was just gonna say that in one of, I think in their song, yes, they talk about uh, a fe- an architectural feature of their house, which is that they can, you know, he uh, he likes to swim to an underground tunnel from a pool to a, a separate jacuzzi, and just like that, that's a fun thing to spend money on. Is like a, a sort of water park for your backyard, um, and you know that the the whole thing of uh buying drinks and uh furnishing your house and uh tipping strippers and all all the all of that stuff 
Anyway. Right. Whereas Megan the Stallion is more concerned with like material conditions. Like she like I mean there's that line in uh WAP where she's talking about uh pay like getting the money to pay off school loans, you know? Yes. yes. <laughs> and like that is very relatable, but it's also just like so grim. Yes, I, mean, I know. Just, I don't that, wanna that like, is... say, I don't want to say that's a bad aspect of that song, but when I think of WAP, WAP doesn't really make sex sound fun. It makes no. it sound transactional. It makes sex also seem like something reserved for only superhumans. <laughs> I mean, especially uh, the, the what is depicted in that video. It is they are superhuman yeah. feats, including having uh, you know gigantic hair and those amazing pasties. Yeah. Beat it up, nigga. Catch a charge. Extra large and extra hard. Put this pussy right in your face. Swipe your nose like a credit card. Hop on top. I wanna ride. I do a kegel. Rollin' some size. Spit in my mouth. Look in my eyes. This pussy is wet. Come take a dive. Tie me up like I'm surprised. That's role play. I wear disguise. I want you to park that big Mack truck right in this little garage. Make it cream. Make me scream. I don't public. Make the scene. I don't cook. I don't clean. But let I, me tell you, I got I, this ring. Got there are few more more 2020 lines than the pay my tuition just to just to kiss me on my wet ass pussy uh and i that was one of the things i was thinking of when ben shapiro was complaining about that song about how vulgar it was and being like uh ah yes you you hate the wet the wet ass pussy song ben shapiro then why don't you support the robust welfare state that would be necessary to prevent women from having to sell their wet ass pussies to get money to go to medical management. What is she like medical management? Oh, yeah. Healthcare administration Health, to go to healthcare administration. It, it, and that's the other thing that's so funny about that line is it's uh, not only is she saying play my tuition, but then knowing that Megan the stallion is in healthcare administration school because she knows that there is no better legit way to make money than to make money off of the suffering of others through administrating ha- healthcare. I mean, the the darker uh, uh, end game of a, a lyric like that would be, you know, uh, pay, pay me, uh, I'll, I'll shake, I'll shake my ass for for the copay. Yes. I'll oh, I'll twerk God. for for to hit my uh, pre my monthly premium. Yes. Yeah, the, I think those are those are the rap lyrics of the future, right there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Near future. <laughs> Very, very near. And that's not, you know what? That's simply not party rocking. Worrying about your debt no, in not, a song is not party rocking. Uh, you know what was an, another, uh, like, of the the uh, S-tier party rock songs? Um, the Charlie XCX Iconopop song, I Love It. That was yeah. a great party rock song. Mm-hmm. I uh, I don't care. I love it. I don't care. That's uh, 2013. 12 or 13, yeah. 12 or 13. And yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's funny because I, I, I made a playlist of like the pop music that kind of went through, I think, I think I stopped 2011. So that would have been just outside it. And I just noticed that like all the stuff that would be in what the, the next coming volume is where things get a lot darker. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where you have yes. like Kesha's Die Young. You have uh, One Direction's uh, Live While We're Young. Like all these things where it's like, the world is collapsing. We feel the imminent collapse of empire. We don't think our lives in the future are going to be good. This is probably the last good time. And, you know, I think in some ways they, they, they may have been completely accurate. But, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a darker time. Well, the, it's party uh, rocking it, is the first Obama term. And then the, the darkness is anticipating the end of the second Obama term. Right. And then once we're in the Trump era, things are much more bleak, much more like kind of narcotic doubt and or you know. cynical in the same way that that I mean, I hate calling it cynical because I love that song and I, I get it. But like there is something 
cynical in the transactional nature of a, of a WAP of being like, this is a song about, you know, this is a song about like sex and partying in a way that is very specifically about the transactional nature of these things rather than like it to its own end. Right. It's, I feel like that song in, in the way that, um, LMFAO is kind of like a logical endpoint of a bunch of trends. WAP kind of is a logical, I don't know if it's an endpoint, but certainly a place where all, a bunch of things converge. A paragon uh, of a certain t- type of thing. Right. On the other side of WAP, you can either go more extreme or back away in the other direction. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to bring up re-apocalypse was like, I'm pretty sure, wasn't it 2011 was predicted to be the end of the world? Wasn't that? 2012. Of, 2012. Yeah, there was a there was a rapture in that time uh, foreseen. And I do think that that, I mean, it all goes together, right? The the collapse of the economy and then the yeah. lack of recover, full recovery of the economy, the continued wars that are just not as like uh, publicized as before. And then like the end of the world. I, I think another thing too, though, is like people always think they live in the end times and they mm-hmm. never do. <laughs> you know, I mean, a lot of 80s stuff is end times, you know, a lot like all the kind of nuclear terror stuff, like 1999 by yeah. Prince being like the most obvious and classic example, I think, or mm-hmm. uh, 99 Lift Belongs. Um, mm-hmm. But let's, let's move like a slightly different direction. I'm curious about products and are there <laughs> products and brands that party rock? <laughs> <laughs> uh four loco definitely american apparel definitely yeah for four loco was you know the, it was the confluence i guess it was i i personally never drank sparks i think sparks was a sparks, little bit of a yes. predecessor to i mean that that whole genre of beverage because party rocking is combining an alcohol with a stimulant so you can party yeah. rock longer and harder it's a performance and I'm just film. old enough to remember when like you'd go places and they would give you sparks for free. I've mm-hmm. never once paid for sparks or for a local in my life. I've only been handed it for free at events. That's party rocking party in, in a way the like a sponsored party that requires brand activations. That's the sort of maybe a more commercial side of party rocking. But I do, I do think that that's part of it. Of You go to a, a, a a gathering and then there's like a, a booth that has swag swag is is party rocking i, I would think yes all cell phones that were not smartphones created after the launch of the iphone are party rock adjacent because all i'm thinking of is a, is a concert in which a dj is playing or something that is sponsor, sponsored by sparks and then like the the new uh like the the absolute last flip phone created by like lg before they all went to smartphones like that is is that era you just reminded me of we recently uh watched the daft punk set from uh Lollapalooza in 2007 mm-hmm. like a, one of the legendary pyramid concerts and you know we would see when they do group like uh, audience shots people holding up their phones, like taking terrible little pictures on flip phones. Yes. And it almost made me remember like, Oh, right. People were taking pictures back then. Like I was at these things, but like, I, I think because I think smartphones have made me think like, well, what were people going to do with those things? I guess they would put them on Facebook or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I'd almost kind of forgotten that people were taking pictures that far back. 
Yeah. No, the the po- point and shoot cameras, I think, too, are uh, are party rock. Here, here's a question: Are cigarettes party rock? No, I don't think so. I think weed is, though. I think vapes are. Wow, jeweling ju- might be a an example of a, a party rock brand that it, has I feel like emerged it, in a in a really dark time. It just missed its time. Uh, I would say uh, liquors sponsored by rappers, specifically vodka, not tequilas owned by movie stars, but liquors owned, sponsored or owned by rappers is is a big party rock energy. Um, but uh, you know what? Uh, I think a current proponent of party rock energy who doesn't necessarily make party rock music although i wish he would is post malone his image is very party rock yes the way he dresses he dresses very like colorfully and uniquely he has brand partnerships with like pokemon and budweiser which is doritos doritos just very much the vision of like uh uh, a, a man who who's enjoying himself in in all possible ways. Uh, one one of my other th- things that I have been saying about party rock is it, it is as if uh, the someone has gotten off of the hot couch yes. and uh, into society and is, is social. Can you quickly define hot couch, Chris? Chris, you'll be better at de- Chris, defining. I think you might be the, the, hot, hot, <laughs> the hot couch is just a a kind of universalized uh, experience of. Uh, Kind of a dirt bag of a dirt of a certain type of dirt bag that almost everybody has encountered at least once in their life. Who is uh, maybe slightly older than you? Who is maybe one of the first people you know who has their own place? It's very poorly f- furnished. All they have is one black leather or faux leather couch sitting across from a TV screen that has like uh, all the the worst broiest DVDs of the last. Um, of the last decade movies like yeah, running crucially, like in the background is more than likely not the movie but the, the dvd, DVD menu. Uh, menu and this guy is very friendly and he's invited you over to his house to smoke uh weed and have some uh beers uh everything is extremely filthy he's yeah, extremely, strictly mids strictly cheap beer strictly mids strictly cheap beer he's extremely friendly uh but also uh lacking basic social skills perhaps he has a pet reptile that he likes showing off uh, he's constantly talking about things that he is going to do, but seemingly never does, like go to camping trips or take judo lessons or something like that. He might uh, have a sword if he's a particular type of guy. D- yes. And everybody has... On the wall, not just like brandishing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> In his hand. Right? And everybody's been, has had to like crash at a guy's like this is house at least once in their life. Uh, maybe or, or at maybe the end you of a just had party. to go there and like, oh, God, yeah. I cannot wait to get out of here. Yeah. You're or, but, but, to the hot couch place. But maybe you that's like that's this guy a lot. I mean, I'll, I have was absolutely being dragged to the hot couch. I would say that one of the things about these guys, though, is that they are, as I've said several times, very friendly. And it's not like a malicious or like creepy vibe. It's just like there it's a type of lack of, of social ability. But I think Molly's right that this is like if that guy got his shit together and actually made music glorifying his lifestyle in the way that he thought that it was glorious. And I also <laughs> love uh, just to go back to Post Malone, Molly, I think that that's a really good call that he has this kind of thing. Even if his songs are like more emotional or something, one of the things that I, when I was well, coming I'll around, to, like, guys really, have feelings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the things that I was, that really got me to come around to Post Malone when he first was popping is the fact that he's like always smiling you know, he's always in a good mood, which I think yeah. is is to his one of his strengths that he is a, a an ambassador of positive vibes 
which feels you guys know about the 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 thing where people will take like toys and then repaint them so they're different characters yeah i always think post malone looks like someone has uh done that to an ed sheeran figure (laughs) modified it into post malone well i i have to say i like the post malone skin a lot more than the ed sheeran skin on that character uh, and uh, even more to go to his sense of, of being in the party rock lineage. I think all the face tattoos, which a lot of people, uh, bristle with, with post Malone is, a, is very much like the, I don't give a fuck, uh, like supreme confidence in his own shit mold that wearing the ridiculous outfits that the, that the LMFAO guys wore, uh, was like, and it's also like maybe kind of a fucking joke, you know, he, he has the fucking always tired eye tattoos that's funny he must know it's funny yes he absolutely does the the parallel uh then to jump from post malone i know it's not quite a brand although he does represent his own brand i think guy fieri is a party rock guy sure yes uh, because flavors are party rocking to enjoy a, a strong flavor is to have a party rock in your mouth and uh, by, you know, being a proponent of Flavor Town, I think Guy Fieri is also, and the way he dresses and his hair and his sunglasses. His overall attitude, yeah. The sauce is a really yeah. uh, party-rocking kind of sauce. Yes. Uh, one could imagine uh, Red Foo in the studio uh, telling the producer that he needs to, quote, put some donkey sauce on that track. <laughs> right. Wait, here's a, here's a parallel question. Is um, Jimmy Buffett and Margaritaville, is that party rocking or is that something different? I was just going to ask you, what are the, who are like the, who are the, uh, the early party rockers? Previous mm. versions of party rocking through history. Well, so, someone asked me on Twitter what they think, what I thought the first instance of party rocking is. And I just threw out Little Richard um, because I do think yeah. his unique stagecraft was party rocking. Um, one of the books that we read on End Introducing was a history of music and unions. And one of the reasons that music unions were not accepting of rock music is because they literally did not consider rock music part of the formal definition of a musical performance, which is to say extra things like dancing on stage or like putting your feet up on the piano. Uh, it was not musical, even though they were ostensibly playing music. And I think that's party rocking. Uh, that's unorthodox. You know who I think are major party rockers from the past is the Parliament Funkadelic. Yes, I was going to bring them up. I mean, this is this is real deep Parliament st- stuff because I know this stuff so well. I would say that Parliament is the party rock outfit and Funkadelic is the more s- serious rock and roll outfit. How we
I know that they're both basically interchangeable later on, but especially in the 70s run when Clinton was kind of separating the styles of those two projects, Parliament was the party the party rock band and Funk was and Funkadelic was the more like serious issues soul band, soul rock band. Yeah. Uh I would also say trying just trying to stretch this back as far as possible uh like big band music Mozart. Um, um maybe uh oh, who is the guy the hungarian rhapsodies uh list but no uh big band music like yeah. benny goodman sing sing yeah sing. If, you, if you go to a list show famously people just go wild yeah. out <laughs> well yeah party, party rocking at the list show um what else i mean i think they called it listomania early madonna i think was party rocking i th- also think like mid to late career madonna returned to party rock uh, certainly right with music and ray of exactly. light certainly licensed to I think, I think like i think we can generally say like disco and funk those were party rock those, those, that's foundational party rock i think like uh freestyle in the 80s that's absolutely party rocking these are all kind of like parts of the thing parts of the stew you know and then i think um you know, going a little more recent on the timeline, but Andrew WK is absolutely a party rocker, like more literally as he is in the rock genre, whereas a lot of the things we've discussed are not. Yes. <laughs> yes. No one no one party rocks in its uh, most uh, strict definition of both partying and rocking more than Andrew WK. Yes. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because just linguistically, I always considered, uh, you know, the phrase party rock. It doesn't refer to a genre of rock music, but rather what you are doing to the party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know who has a major party rock spirit is, uh, oh God, what, uh, David Lee Roth from Van Halen. Yes. That is a prime party rocker. I think if you were to ask LMFAO who their favorite rock stars are, I'm sure they would mention David Lee Roth. Uh, I was trying to get it out a little bit, maybe obvious, but uh, License to Ill era Beastie Boys. Oh, I would say Beastie Boys pretty much through their career. They get but a, yeah. a little less interested in like the party. Yeah. <laughs> they start they start uh, thinking more about social change beyond just yes partying. exactly and freeing Tibet things like things of that That's nature growing up though you know Yeah, but you know, even when they're doing that, they're they're still having a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they never stop having those jams. Like, you know, I mean, God, Intergalactic is 1998. Uh, I would say even more off that album. Um, body Moving? Body Moving. That's a, that's a good party rock song. Yeah. Especially the Fatboy Slim version. Fatboy Slim, definitely you, party rock. go back to the 90s, I feel like there are a lot of like hit dance singles. Uh, maybe some more like one hit wonders that fit into the party rock mold. Like I think Groove is in the Heart by D-Light. I always want to go D light. <laughs> D <laughs> like, light. Yeah. I think D light. Absolutely. Oh, I think D light are in a way the uh, LMFAO of the very early Ooh, 90s. I like that analysis. Because they really are kind of like a 
synthesizing a lot of things and like the whole thing is like here's the party we're getting we're, we're here's a it's like it's almost like they're the people like this are doing this altruistic thing of like we're creating a party we're putting it on this compact disc or mp3 <laughs> you can bring the party you can you can do your own version of it we've given you like some uh schematics <laughs> we've given you some, uh, ideas and it's up to you how you do it but you know like they're out there bringing this energy into the world that you can tap into if you need um, it. What, one other 90s uh, party rock band, I would say, especially for their presence on many uh, motion pictures in the party scene, is the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Oh, yeah. Like Scott. Like there's a, that, that big yeah. Scott energy. Uh, big, this big dumb energy. Dumb energy. I, think, I think like. Like I think a joyful dumbness is really crucial. Like I was thinking, like one of the ways that maybe we are the culture is moving back towards party rock is like there's that one like meme phrase where it's like no thoughts head empty. Oh yes, and that that is like and I feel like okay, yeah, that that's the seed. That's the seed from which the new party rock. And, and crucially, grow. that that is an aspirational phrase that you that you something yes. that you're trying to be like. That I'm trying. I want to rid myself of these tawdry anxieties and and war- material interests, and to be, to become no thoughts head empty. It's the same with uh, the recent resurgence, aspirational resurgence of bimbos and himbos. That's uh, like yes. I wish I could be like them. I wish I could have no no cares and just be a a good looking, well meaning uh, idiot. This is the response to this yeah. time in history. Because, you know, and I would say the use of the internet as well, to go back to that, like being mired in this constant vortex of negative feelings and negative feedback. uh, Why wouldn't you want to basically just sort of turn your brain off and not absorb? Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. I I work out when I walk in the spot. This is what I see. Everybody stops and I'm sexy and I know it. I'm sexy and I know it. And then also with like a song like "Sexy and I Know It," I mean that's a body positivity anthem. Yes, it is. Before time. That is purely what it is. Like years before anyone would call it something like that. Yep. Wow. <laughs> the inventors of the body positive body positivity movement: Red Foo and Sky Blue. Uh, other things from that era that I feel like peaked and never, I guess it's never run away, but, uh, could use a type of coming back. Uh, and also just interesting to track out this change. Uh, Jersey shore yes. was, was major party rock energy from that, uh, that era. The situation of very much a party rock LMFAO person. did their theme song. Less the Jersey. Ever. Really? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Um, Jim Tan laundry laundry as like the entirety of your world. And then just going to clubs. I mean, that's great. And I, I think that is what I was going to say was interesting to track is the evolution of something like Jersey Shore into something like Vanderpump Rules, which I think tries to have a patina of party rocking on it. But again, the same thing with WAP has this like real transa- transactional undertow to it where you can tell that it's all of these people using this thing that should just be like a bunch of bimbos and himbos hanging out and having fun and partying with each other as this like aspirational career climb project. 
that the show is about, but also kind of hides by virtue of them being like, they're just some guys who work at a restaurant. Uh, when that's clearly right. not the case. I, I think careerism is antithetical to yes, party rock. Exactly. So like kind of going back to like the, the hot couch guys, those are like fundamental, fundamentally unambitious people. And to even characterize LMFAO and, and similar things is like the, like the most actualized version of that type of person. It's still like not letting go of that kind of lack of ambition the very fact that lmfao just kind of like stopped this disappeared i think says a lot because like they they weren't trying to keep it going they were like okay we see that the party has ended we will gracefully bow out i mean i like to think that maybe like uh sky blue will get another like nephew or niece oh that would be he will accept the uncle role and like they will return, but like uh, Red Foo will have bowed out, and it's the new generation. This is the circle of life of of uncle uh, uncle and nephew magic. To to every generation, a nephew is born. Right, and I, I think it doesn't necessarily be gender, but it's like that weird like uh, diagonal <laughs> familial relationship. Yeah. Uh, so like nieces and nephews, uncles and aunts. I think you know even what what if the new LMFAO is an aunt and niece? That'd be great. That'd be awesome. You know, it, could, it could happen. Um, but can, can we talk for just a moment about Uncle Magic and how they uh, they are probably like the cultural pinnacle of Uncle Magic? Uh, yes. Would you like me to just to just go off? Yeah, I think I, I think uh, yeah, I think it's up to you. I I mean I guess I mean this is another thing just like the high couch thing that has been kind of uh, drawn up on Chapo and I I can speak to it. I'm certainly not the originator to it. Uh, both these concepts have come through the beautiful mind of Felix Biederman and I think the the universal truth that uh, Felix is drilling down here on is the kind of magic of having a. A familial connection that is nonetheless not constrained by the uh, the limitations, uh, the horrible limitations of the intimacy of like a father and son relationship, where you almost know each Zero other. Zero responsibility. Yes, you get all the 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 positivity of having a familial re- intergenerational masculine relationship with none of the responsibilities of actually like quote unquote raising a son or you know living up to your father's expectations or anything you'd get a dad who doesn't have to be a dad and a son who doesn't have to be a son i think uncles are known to be mischievous figures yeah and you could just like do it's like yeah it's like you're a, a dad who is also like a friend that you can just do fun stuff with the uncle will will you know crack you the beer uh, and have a little sneaky guy time uh, during yeah. the family gathering. Versus, uh, dad says no beer until you turn twenty one. That's Uncle Magic. Yeah, I'm an uncle, and I've enjoyed being an uncle. <laughs> I don't I, I don't see my nieces and nephews very much, but uh, I d- I think I have some Uncle Magic to my niece in particular. Uh, she likes me a lot. <laughs> Uh, Chris, one day you'll be an uncle, I think, more than likely, right? Well, yeah, like now I, it was several sisters. It was b- before I met and married Molly. Molly, the possibility of being an uncle was foreclosed to me as an only child, but now the the door is open. I did you see yeah. the tweet that was like, "Damn, there really are some people who are both only children, and then they get married, and then their kids won't have any aunts or uncles." It's true, or cousins, I mean, or cousins, like my. My mother and my father uh, both did not have brothers, 
So all of my uh, uncles were uncles by marriage, which is the only way Chris can be an uncle. Uh, as we mentioned, cousins, that is the thing that completes the Trinity. It is the, the uncle, the uncle, the nephew, the cousin in terms of the relationship. And all three of those things uh, are represent the, the three ways that you can maintain familial connections without uh, observing the familial responsibilities. The cousin is the sibling without having to, you know, deal with the, the pain of have of, you know the 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 all the bullshit that comes with like actually growing up with somebody else uh, in the same house. Um, yeah. So so LMFAO really kind of exemplify this thing where it's the kind of fun you can't really have with a parent or even a brother. It's like it's there. It kind of has to be this kind of uh, diagonal like quasi relationship where you are related, but there's just no like. There's no like cultural resonance to uncles. Yes. I think, you know, maybe more recently, like in The Last Jedi, like the primary conflict of that movie is uncle nephew. Yeah. Mm, mm. And, you know, I think that of the things that are good about that movie, the uncle nephew relationship is not potent, you yes. know? Yes, of course. I, everybody loves uh, loves the character of of Kylo Ren, who's who's pr- broadly and popularly considered the dark nephew. Yes, <laughs> right, because like you know he's the dark son, but yeah, it, when, the but the major conflict that we see is him versus his uncle, his uncle Luke Skywalker, and Luke Skywalker is such an uncle figure. Like it's it's actually very hard to imagine Luke Skywalker being a father. But he's such an archetypal uncle. Uh, it is very funny to consider that it that uh, if it, in the original trilogy you had Darth Vader, if in this if in the new trilogy you had had like Darth Vunkel, <laughs> uh, or you know Darth Darth uh, uh, Vephew. Well, ultimately, the heroic uncle and evil nephew. Yes. <laughs> But but then, you know, we, we go to the next movie in that trilogy, and then it becomes a dark grandpa. Yes, exactly. <laughs> bad, bad grandpa. A grandpa, bad gra- uh, granddaughter uh, conflict. A classic yes. one for the ages. Did bad grandpa come out the same year as, as uh, The Rise of Skywalker? Because that, if, if so, several, that's a... Several years before, but yeah. But that, that is a very good point, that, that that Rise of Skywalker is the ultimate bad grandpa movie. Another uh, media property that we're currently revisiting that has a ton of uncle magic in it is Game of Thrones due to the complex family uh, trees. And there's just a there's a ton of uncle magic going on Um, or, you know, the lack of uncle magic, like with uh, Tyrion and uh, that horrible, horrible Joffrey. Yes. Joffrey again, like Kylo Ren, the dark nephew, dark nephew. Oh, wow. Yeah. The dark nephew and like, you know, heroic uncle. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Crucially, also, uh, old Luke and uh, Tyrion have virtually the same hairstyle. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess there is something here. I mean, L- let's move to a different topic. Uh, what is the antithesis of party rocking? <sighs> the antithesis of party rocking. Um, that one, uh, I think you already brought them up. I would say, like, the first thing that comes to mind is maybe Ed Sheeran's whole thing. I don't. I think the shape of you is kind of party rocking. Oh, I, I don't know. It's there's something so serious. I mean, uh, there's there's something so earnest and unfun about that song. Earnest in its unfunness. 
Because party rocking is is earnest in its own way, but you know, I, I have a, a something to offer. I don't think Drake has party rocked for a second of his life. That's a good Drake one. Drake is never party rocking. He is way too paranoid, way too anxious. Even when he's winning, he feels like he's losing. Even when he has his songs that are like about celebrating his accomplishments, like when he's talking about trophies, it's always with the sense that someone is trying to take them away. <laughs> This is like the most party rocking song he has. And I guess it's probably like, hell yeah, fucking right with Lil Wayne. Yeah. And that requires the influence of, I would say, in some way, whenever Lil Wayne is on a feature on someone else's song, he kind of contains Uncle Magic. Do you love this shit? Are you high right now? Do you ever get nervous? Are you single? I heard you fuck your girl. Is it true? You getting money? You think them niggas you with is with you? And I say, hell yeah. He will come on your track and be your uncle. Yeah, hell, hell yeah, fucking right is good. I, I think, and you know, he's got like the sexy songs or you know, uh, passion fruit or whatever. But like, I just feel like he's never gone fully stupid. He's always looking over his shoulder. Yeah, he, he he's too self-serious. He, he's always coming from a defensive position. And, you know, also, I mean, it's not just, the, you know, we're talking about Drake. So, but Drake is like this hegemonic figure in the past 10 years of popular music. Right. And so much of popular music has been a reaction to Drake or people trying to follow a Drake energy. Uh, or people just inspired by Drake. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just so fundamentally unparty rock. Yeah. I mean, as you're describing this, I would say a lot of the figures who have become the dominant pop stars embody much of that same paranoid energy. Taylor Swift, who seems mm-hmm. to constantly be doing things in reaction to what people are talking about. Uh, honestly, I see the funny thing is, is uh, my favorite, I, I know that this is an unpopular opinion, but I mean, my the things that would appeal to me about Taylor Swift are, are probably different is like my favorite taylor swift song is look what you or or period part is look what you made me do the ultimate like extreme of her worst qualities but is is also just like partially like wonder if i just got stupid about this shit you know and just like totally no more reservation no more planning like what if i uh what if i just went went crazy uh and it and it's fun it's it's like she's cut loose on that in a little way and it's funny too I think the thing that kind of connects uh, Drake and Taylor Swift, and it's a huge portion of music that has been very popular in the recent past, is this thing where it's like, I want to be in my emotions. I want to feel my sadness. I want to cry. And that all of that, that whole thing, and all of the artists who would kind of be associated with that, that to me is the fullest antithesis of party rock as an aesthetic, as a genre as a way of life. Yeah. Party rocking is, is about forgetting your base emotions for the course of even just a night because no thoughts had empty. Feeling them every day is exhausting enough. <laughs> so it's time to have a few Red Bull vodkas and just forget. Uh, it's about getting on that dumb shit. Hey, is Hyperpop is a hundred gex. Are they, are they in a, towards a, towards a new style of party rock? Yes, I think so. I think most K-pop is party party rocking in some mm-hmm. way. Yes, um, it, especially in like the just wild, like swaggering braggadocio uh, 
element of it, but there is also something because of the way K-pop is made and manufactured that it has to be kind of reserved and uh, chaste in some way. Well, I'm thinking more of it. It's a high energy. It is the high we're energy, have a good you know? time. Like, we're not going to think about the other things. We're just going to have fun. So, you know, yeah. thinking of how you would react to BTS, how you would black pink, all these things, like, you know, I don't think it's restrained. I think it's just like, we're here to have a good time. We're not even going to consider these other things. We're here to have a good time. The energy is going to be high. We're going to dance a lot. We're going to smile a lot. It's a colorful. It's like the, uh, the Corgi by the lake. Uh, Party rocking is about, you know, sitting and enjoying yourself by the lake. And then everything else that isn't party rock is remembering all the times that you've caused pain to others. Yeah, I, I don't think. Yeah, guilt is not a feeling that exists in a guilt party. Guilt and rock. shame. There's no place for guilt and shame. I think a lot of shame and guilt has been very central to culture in the recent past, yeah. uh, and oftentimes like very deliberately. Like it, it is. A, there's a lot of self-flagellation yeah. in culture. Well, now. one person I want to bring up. I, I don't, we can talk more about hyperpop too, but I think that maybe is pointing toward a trend back toward party rock. Is I think at the way, way, way beginning of her career, Lady Gaga, who was coming out of like New York electro clash, she had like the Just Dance, she had Poker Face, which was you know kind of kind of stupid, kind of silly, and then she got very dark um, and got very very in her feelings. And then I would say Chromatica from last year is a return to talking because like stupid love stupid love is part of stupid love abalon Ab- abalon is just like head empty yes exactly i think it's a very a very good sign for for the future Hopefully more people will pick up that baton and run with it. I would need, I w- could use some uh, some no thoughts head empty music from like the weekend. I know that's not his really his thing, but I think that maybe he could do it. I mean something uh, more like, in, I know that they're not around anymore, but something more like in the Starboy uh, realm. Or can't, can't feel my face is is yeah, that can't feel my face. That's very that. He kind of teeters back and forth between uh between the uh like just total uh, reckless abandoned party rock energy and then like the uh don't look at me i'm a monster uh everything that i have done has only caused pain to those around me and i will never stop uh introspection which is what's great about him i'm just saying like maybe maybe a little more of leaning into the uh the the latter for just one album or the the prior for just one i think i think for the for for the remainder of this year if anyone asks uh anything of me like why I did something. Like, I'm a motherfucking star boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a motherfucking star boy. <laughs> so I think we're kind of leaning into the, the last question I have here uh, for us to ponder is why do we need to party rock both individually and as a culture, like as, and as a reaction to the world as it is right now, not so much even the recent past, but the world as it is right now. 
I think it's an, an exercise in um, being present, mm. you know, because you uh, the, because it is attempting to uh, um, to to fully engage in a party rock, to to actually feel and be party rocking. You have to not be worrying and not be thinking about yourself and not being in your own head and not being uh, too uh, uh, terrified of the future. Uh, the, the entire universe only exists in this, in tonight, in this evening. And so you, by letting go of everything else, you can truly be with yourself and focused and present. And I think that that is something that people should keep close to them, especially, you know, that, uh, as we perhaps enter a time where we're needing to take very, very, um, uh, hold, hold it in our hearts how valuable it is to actually have fun with each other, uh, how, how tenuous and special it is. Also, it's communal. You have to, I mean, listen, you can party rock alone, and I have, but party rocking is ideally best done together, and uh, doing things together creates a feeling of solidarity that when negative stuff happens, trying to break through the force field of party rock, you can collab, uh, link, build, and uh, and grind together to uh, to get rid of that that bad shit and keep party rock. Yeah, I, I think a lot of culture as it's been, I mean, obviously exacerbated uh, by the mm-hmm. pandemic, but I think long before that was this trend towards atomization. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, you think in terms of leftist politics, you know, the the drive towards no, we need to have collectivity, we need to have solidarity, mm-hmm. and. I think what you're kind of getting at is like, yeah, this this is this aesthetic pushes us towards a, a, in the most fun way towards a more necessary thing of being mm-hmm. communal, of seeing each other's value and why we must be there for other yep. people. One hundred percent. Ah, I want to party rock. I wish to party rock. Well, I, I think I, I, I think we have uh, defined uh, party rocking. I think we have uh, we, we, we've had a lot of thoughts about party rocking. I think hopefully the people in the audience will have uh, some thoughts and responses to the ideas we put forth about party rocking. Uh, can you tell me in the audience where they can find you and what and all your stuff? Uh, well, I think the thing that we should promote most is and introducing our podcast about words about music. Uh, depending on when this comes out, we will be on the precipice of launching into our big event uh, for the spring, which is our coverage of every group in Our Band Could Be Your Life. Uh, the classic chronicle of... 80s underground uh, rock music going from black. So who, who are some of the bands? Oh, in you that? got your Black Flag. You got your Minutemen. You got your Hooskers Do. You got your Missions of Burma. Uh, Bigs Black. The Buttholes Surfers. The Sonics Youth. Uh, who who else? The Beats Happening. Mud Honey. The Muds Honey. The Muds Honey. Mark's Arm. <laughs> 
uh, yes, all of those bands and more all throughout this. We're doing an episode on each of them. We're going to be, tr- be trying to put them out uh, once a week or once every 10 days or so, starting in about two weeks, starting about March 10th. Yeah, a lot of good guests for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, that's If you're interested in any of those bands, it'll be a good way to hop into the show. So find right. it wherever you download podcasts and introducing or find us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. Uh, yeah, that's it. And introducing is the name of the pod. And then and uh, you also yeah. you have the, you, you have you both you have another podcast. Oh right, we have another podcast called Infinite Cast, where I on air am reading Chris uh, David Foster Wallace's 1996 novel Infinite Jest. It is not a book club where we read off off air and then talk about it. We are literally reading the book on the podcast. So if you listen to the podcast in about through the course of three years, you will complete <laughs> Infinite Jest. We just did uh, episode number twenty six. And we've gotten to page two hundred, huge, huge, and that's a uh, that's called the cast again. Wherever fine podcasts are um, not sold, in the- and, and you you also do some commentary on it. But after oh, you've yeah, yeah. read, yes, a- each episode is about half reading, half discussion of the yeah, book. Indeed. And Chris, you're vibing on it. Oh yeah, it's great. It's really. I mean, I'd read some of his nonfiction stuff before, so I was fine. It's it's that's the thing. I don't know what you've received, what you might have received of this book culturally, but it is it is funny and interesting and surprisingly pop. You know, it pop in its sensibility. Yeah, it's not, but you know, but you're you're just doing Molly's just doing her thing to hold up the white male can. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and creating the female chauvinist pig reader. Yeah, uh, that, that image needs to be bolstered. Yes. It's been too long. <laughs> female show female. Female chauvinist, we exist and we are valid. We're here. We're We're out here. All right. Well, there we go. Party rocking. Do you have any messages to people about party rocking before we uh, let you go? Never apologize. Don't feel bad. The party rocking will continue until morale approves. The party rocking will continue so that morale will improve. Every day I'm shuffling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Woo!